And we're back, another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Probably listened to this one on Monday morning. Happy Monday to everybody. We are finally getting a chance to talk about an Auburn basketball victory for the second time. Only the second time in the last eight games. Auburn got off the schneid a little bit and got... What could be called its biggest win of the season just because of the situation, um, but either either way you slice it, Auburn got its second ranked win of the year at home in a year where Auburn did not perform very well at home when you look at kind of relative to what they did, their dominance at home over the past few years. They beat number 25 Tennessee on Saturday, 77-72, to and it's the last win over a team with a winning record um, since they beat number 12 Missouri in their other ranked win of the season on January 26th. Obviously, after that, they lost six out of seven games. They only beat Vanderbilt, the last place team in the conference. But just a huge game for Auburn's confidence um, and to kind of get a signature win toward the end of this season where there's no postseason in play for Auburn. It's not in the cards this year. They obviously have the self-imposed postseason ban and then Bruce Pearl said last week, just, you know, how many gut punches can this team take when Sharif Cooper went out? They already were without Justin Powell, one of the best freshmen in the country. Now they lose Sharif Cooper, also one of the best freshmen in the country, if not, you know, top five freshman player, lottery pick, whatever you want to call him. They lost him as well. And so in their first game without him, they got smacked around by Florida on Tuesday. And so a lot of people wondering how they were going to be able to turn around in this game. Tennessee is a pretty good team that, like we've talked about on this podcast before, teams that are kind of jockeying for NCAA tournament position, SEC tournament position. This was a really big game for Tennessee because they're trying to break that top four bracket in the SEC tournament because that double buy is so nice, is so desirable for teams in the SEC tournament. But Tennessee, we knew they were a bit of an inconsistent team. Um, They had lost this season to maybe some teams they shouldn't have lost to. They were picked to win the league in the preseason, um, and things have panned out pretty well for them. But Auburn just outplayed them, and probably one of Auburn's most consistent, um, just kind of most overall effective games of the season, maybe one of their most well-rounded performances. Auburn got five guys in double figures, including Alan Flanagan, who went for 23 points, um, had a few big three-pointers that I can kind of remember, maybe not down the stretch, but in the second half. It was very Chumo Kiki-like. I uh, thought by him the way he was just able to kind of size up some Tennessee defenders and knock down shots when he got just a little bit of separation. Jamal Johnson had 14 points. Uh, Devin Cambridge had 15. Jalen Williams had 13. And JT Thor had 10. Other than that, the only other player to score on Auburn's roster was Dylan Cardwell. He only had two points. I think that was that pretty pass on the inside from Jamal Johnson inside to Cardwell. He slammed it down, which Johnson ran a lot more point guard in this game. So obviously no Sharif Cooper. How is Bruce Pearl going to continue this point guard rotation? Well, it wasn't as much on Alan Flanagan as it had been over the past few games. Apparently in practice last week, Jamal Johnson stepped up and sort of filled that void to kind of take the pressure off of Alan Flanagan. And everybody was really impressed with how he performed. Only one turnover, three assists for him, getting a lot of minutes at point guard. But I think more importantly, that allowed Alan Flanagan to go back uh, to his normal position on the wing. A lot of people have been talking about all season, his teammates and, and him and Bruce Pearl, 
about how it's been a tough season for him, not because of his numbers, because obviously he's made a big jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year, but just because of the things he's been asked to do. Besides Sharif Cooper, nobody on the Sovereign roster has been asked to do more than Alan Flanagan um, to be a scoring output guy, but also to just play these weird positions, to come in um, and play in the backcourt, in the true backcourt as a point guard more often than Bruce Pearl would have liked. Obviously, all the point guard depth was a big issue. And so for him getting back to that natural position to be able to catch and score on the wing, and he's also really, really effective, obviously a big, strong guy, being able to drive to the basket. And obviously, he's a pretty strong defender, too. He made a big impact. He tied for Auburn's team high in rebounds with seven. Babatunde Akingbola also had seven rebounds. But it's just big. It's different to watch Flanagan play this way um, and to kind of see how things, how his game is affected in a positive way when he can sort of be more free-flowing on the offensive end of things. But just overall, again, a great performance for Auburn. They tied an SEC low, uh, their SEC low, in turnovers this this season. They only had 12 in this game um, to Tennessee's 13. So we hadn't seen Auburn win the turnover battle very often this season, um, and certainly that had been a reason why their offense had been struggling in some games. They won on the glass as well, a 41-34 to rebounding advantage for Auburn as well, and that led to 19 second-chance points. I thought that was a big point um, of emphasis. Watching the game, you kind of saw how Auburn was able to kind of keep some offensive possessions alive because Tennessee technically uh, shot a little bit better in this game, both uh, from two-point range and from three-point range were technically the better shooting team, but just the fact that Auburn was able to dominate the glass and kind of dictate the pace of the game in that way. For Auburn overall, it's their sixth straight win over Tennessee. I'm going to pull it up right now and just see how that stacks up. I sort of did a little bit of research to see um, you know, just how impressive is this winning streak in terms of other Auburn winning streaks in SEC play. Obviously, we know how important this is to Bruce Pearl. He loves to beat his former team. Um, and you kind of saw that if you watched the video in the postgame locker room. Uh, I can't remember what he said. Something like, you know, thanks for having my back um, to, to his players. Um, they know how important this one was. So it is their longest winning streak in the SEC since they beat South Carolina six straight times. That was from 1999 to 03. And if you want to go bigger than six, um, it's their longest since they beat Alabama seven straight times. Um, and that was all the way back in 1968 um, through 71. Or excuse me, yeah, uh, no, 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 we'll go back a little bit uh, further ahead. Mississippi State, that's it. They beat Mississippi State nine straight times from 1997 to 01. That's the most recent winning streak for Auburn that's bigger than their current six-game winning streak over Tennessee. I didn't, I didn't necessarily know if Auburn had it in them um, to be able to do this one and, and get this victory, obviously. Again, it doesn't change anything when you're just looking at any sort of tangible repercussions or anything they gain from this game. But I just think this team was so down on itself because of, like Bruce Pearl said, all of the gut punches that it was so important for them to be able to get some confidence because there's only two games left now. You play at Alabama on Tuesday. That's the team that obviously just won the SEC regular season championship for the first time in 19 years. By the way, that's the same drought Auburn had before Auburn won the SEC regular season title in 2018. Auburn also hadn't won it in 19 years, so kind of an interesting parallel there. But And then you play Mississippi State in your final game of the season next Saturday, and then you're done. You're going to go to off-season workouts. Bruce Pearl is going to put a big emphasis on recruiting, looking ahead 
to the 2022 class at that point and just try to get this roster together for next season, whether or not the roster includes Sharif Cooper. That still remains to be seen. We'll talk about that a little bit more um, later on in the podcast, but just for a team like this that isn't able to go to the postseason to get a win like this where everything came together and you were able to play so strong and finally the good looks you were getting, they start to fall and you feel like you're an offense that, look, again, if you if you don't have Sharif Cooper back next season, maybe this is a game you can point to and say, we performed well without Sharif on offense. We were able to move the ball around well on offense. Now, how, what are the reasons why that happened? You know, and kind of dissect the, all the reasons we just talked about of why they succeeded, but defense was also huge. Um, they held Tennessee to only 30 points in the first half. Um, again, Tennessee shot pretty well for the game, but it was just the fact that Auburn outworked them in the little things. Auburn went to the free throw line 37 times. I thought that was huge for Auburn this season, um, just watching them over the course of the year. Whenever they are able to get to the free throw line more, um, they're so much more successful. They were hitting them on a little bit higher of a rate. They were really bad at the beginning of the season, but when Sharif Cooper came on and, and was ruled eligible and started playing, their free throw percentage started to rise. Still wasn't that great in this game, 24 of 37, but those are just freebies. You know, those are just free points, 24 free points you're being given. Obviously, Bruce Pearl would like them to get all 37 of them, but I just think when Auburn is a little bit more aggressive, that opens things up around the wings because you know this Auburn team likes to shoot the three ball. So an important win for Auburn. You know, this has been, Bruce Pearl said it last week, that this Tennessee rivalry and look, it's easy for him to say this considering they keep winning all the games, but this Tennessee rivalry really has felt meaningful over the past few seasons and sort of during this Auburn winning streak, you had Auburn beating them um, to hold Tennessee from winning a conference title. That win at the end of the final four season, the regular season finale for Auburn, I believe Tennessee was ranked number five and Auburn was unranked and Auburn won in Auburn Arena on the regular season finale. If Tennessee had won that game, they would have won a share of the conference title for the regular season. Obviously, a week later, Auburn just blasts Tennessee in Nashville. Um, And then last season, even last season, I thought um, you had that one game with the comeback where I thought that was important for guys like Jalen Williams and Devin Cambridge and sort of those young players to kind of strut their stuff and show that they're the future of the program. And then I thought the game would have been really important, the regular season finale last year, where Samir Doughty, I believe Samir Doughty had 32 points. I think a lot of people were looking at Auburn after that game. It was a huge road win for Auburn in a spot where they weren't expected to win like that. I mean, maybe some people thought they would, but they absolutely blew Tennessee out of the water on the road right before the SEC tournament was supposed to start. I think a lot of people around the country were looking at Auburn after that and saying, well, here we go again. Another Bruce Pearl team getting hot at the right time, heading into March. Obviously, none of that came to fruition because COVID canceled everything. But even this one, even this one feels significant. You you can sort of point to things from both sides. Tennessee's side, it's significant because they're a team that wants to prove they can be consistent because not only are they lobbying for this SEC tournament seating and to get themselves a better draw in Nashville, um, but you know that from the national scene, people are sort of watching them and wondering where the Vols are going to be pegged in terms of NCAA tournament seating because I know back earlier in the season, they were viewed as a pretty high seed when they were winning a lot of their games. They were viewed as a two or a three seed. Um, now things have kind of fallen off a little bit. Still one of the better teams in the conference. And then again, like we talked about, from Auburn's perspective, 
winning six straight games against Bruce Pearl's former program. You know he gets fired up for this game, and you can tell the players really appreciate that, and they really know how important it is. And I just think this game is so important. Heading into next season to get a win like this, it'll be even bigger um, if Auburn can grab. I mean, I don't know about the chances of them grabbing one on Tuesday against the best team in the conference in Alabama, but you never know. They're playing with confidence right now. But I think maybe if you can just grab that Mississippi State game on next Saturday to end the season out at home, you're maybe feeling a little bit better about the way things ended here at the end of the season. We're going to get into a quick break, and then we're going to do something a little fun, a little a little freelancy for the last segment of the podcast. Going to talk a little bit more Auburn basketball and some Auburn football as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. So I wanted to talk about a little more than just basketball to get the week started on the podcast. That was obviously sort of the number one thing that's happened at Auburn over the past few days, but wanted to talk about a little bit more than that. So I went to our message board and sort of asked some of our subscribers if they could just send in some questions, any sort of questions, anything that's on their mind about Auburn football, basketball, anything, anything Auburn related doesn't even have to be Auburn related. Um, but we got a few good ones. I sort of glanced at these a little bit, but most of this is just going to be off the cuff. So first one is from Donald 69. These are all or 61 <laughs> Donald 61. Excuse me. All of these are on our message board. Um, he said in spring practice, do you expect Brian Harson to have any full contact scrimmages with the quarterbacks going live with no orange jerseys? Gus Malzahn very rarely did this. Yeah, I remember the scrimmages. So Gus did do this occasionally. You can sort of think back. I, the most significant one, I mean, I've only been covering the team for the past four years or so, but the most significant one I remember is Joey Gatewood versus Bo Nix after Malik Willis had been pushed out of that quarterback battle. I remember things got really physical at that scrimmage, and that was honestly a plus for Bo Nix. A lot of people looked at that and said, all right, Gus is going to pull off the orange jerseys, which, if you don't know, that's that's Auburn's non-contact jersey, and they put on just the standard Navy offense jerseys. A lot of people thought that was going to make more of a difference for Joey Gatewood, but all that it did was show how slippery Bo Nix was and, and everything that we see from him today where he's able to escape the pocket, not only you know in the, in the passing game, but sort of with the option as well, his ability to pull the ball and make plays with his legs. And apparently in that scrimmage, um, Joey Gatewood was a little bit more clunky moving around. Obviously, he's a phenomenal athlete when he's able to get into the open field, but he just didn't have the same ability as Knicks to escape the pocket. In terms of if I expect Harson to do that, yeah, looking back at his time at Boise State, um, I think he did it a little bit more than Gus Melzon. So Gus did occasionally. Obviously, he kept them non-contact most of the time, and that'll be the standard for Harson as well, I- I'm pretty sure. Um, just you know, the baseline every uh, every given practice will be non-contact for the quarterbacks. That's pretty standard. But I think he will maybe a little bit more, maybe one or two more scrimmages per spring or fall. You'll see those quarterbacks go into contact jerseys. And that's going to be important for this year as well. And that kind of goes into our next question. Uh, AU Landshark says, and all he asked a couple or three questions. I'll start with this one. Do you think Knicks will be the starter this season? Bo Nix will be Auburn's starting quarterback. I do. I do think he'll get the benefit of the doubt. But sort of transitioning from that last question, um, Demetrius Davis, the, the four-star freshman quarterback 
out of Houston. Um, talk about being a slippery runner. I mean, he is a phenomenal player when you watch his highlight tapes. He is the most successful quarterback in Texas high school history, beating out Kyler Murray in terms of most wins. The dude was just phenomenal when he got into the playoffs. And he just reminds you of a Lamar Jackson when you watch his highlight tapes. Now, I know that he, I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson, but you, you look for player comparisons when you look at high school players sort of tearing it up on that level. And that's who he reminded me of. So I think a lot of Auburn fans are going to be really excited to see what he does maybe in some mop-up packages this year when he goes or just in mop-up duty. Um, in terms of if he is going to be in packages this year, we're, if we're assuming Bo Nix is the starting quarterback, I would think that he's the guy for the future. Um, and they're looking at him as being the guy who's going to take over. Maybe this is Bo Nix's last year. I would think he probably has two more years. I don't think he is. He doesn't really necessarily have much, if any, NFL stock right now. But look, Bo Nix is more experienced. I know he he's had his struggles over the past couple seasons, but I think a lot of people sauce a lot of his detriments as being a result of the Gus Malzahn offenses of Chad Morris's play calling. You know, everything that everybody complained about, which, I mean, I'm not saying the complaints were wrong. Um, a lot of people thought Bo Nix was used incorrectly and a lot of the time didn't have enough check down options. A lot of the time was not called, plays were not called for him correctly over the middle of the field. Um, and he really wasn't able to show off his full talent because I think most Auburn fans understand that this is a, truly a former five-star prospect at quarterback I mean he's got a phenomenal arm um, that's the reason he beat out Joey Gatewood is because he came in um, and they didn't really have to fix that arm I mean just the golden arm and so now you've got two quarterback gurus two guys who have a ton a ton of success in the head coach Brian Harson and the offensive coordinator Mike Bobo two of probably the bigger quarterback whispers in the industry right now are together on the same offensive staff they're going to meld their ideas together and sort of put together a DNA of this offense, and Brian Harson has said it before, that it's centered around the quarterback. It's going to be centered around what the quarterback can do well, and I do I do believe that's Bo Nix. I think that with another year of this offensive line, I know Auburn fans hope that the offensive line improves under the new position coach, Will Friend, because you're talking about detriments and things that held Bo Nix back. That was half of the equation, if not more. I mean, just look at the Mississippi State game. Um, by the time at the end of the season, I, there were a lot of injuries. Auburn's offensive line was actually pretty good when they were fully healthy, kind of in the middle of the season, uh, both in pass blocking and run blocking. But sometimes they were a big reason why Bo Nix was not comfortable in the pocket. So very long winded way of saying that, yes, I do think Bo Nix will be the starter, but I will definitely be watching out for Demetrius Davis because Auburn, I think has the potential, not just in a few years when he gets, when Davis gets older, but I think they have the potential in 2021 to have one of the better backups in the conference. And who knows, you know, uh, maybe everybody will be vaccinated, that kind of thing. But who knows what the COVID situation still looks like in, in the 2021 season, you know? So I, th I think there's a possibility that backup quarterbacks will still be important. Um, and so I think or they're obviously important, but we'll still kind of carry that COVID import importantness that maybe your starting quarterback will get knocked out for the week because of contact tracing. So, I think Auburn's got a good chance to have a really good backup quarterback in that regard. He also asked, what are your personal thoughts or any inside info on Sharif Cooper staying for another year? We kind of talked about that in the last segment. Bruce Pearl, he, the way he goes about things he did this with Jared, I mean, Jared Harper and, and Bryce Brown, guys like that when they wanted to test the draft process. But really, you look at the past two years of Chumo Kiki and Isaac Okoro, guys that were first round prospects. And that's exactly what Sharif Cooper 
is right now. Bruce Pearl's process with those guys, if you're a first-round pick, if you're a first-round grade, he is going to encourage you to do everything in your power to look and get uh, kind of assessments from the NBA to figure out how you're going to be taken. And so I think because Sharif Cooper is being viewed as such a high-level prospect right now, I, I the odds, I think, are so slim. Um, I, I would be shocked, and I think a lot of people in the NBA – would be shocked just because we're approaching that sort of mock draft time. This sort of coincides with the NFL mock drafts as well, where the NBA people are starting to really, okay, the college basketball season, we're about to get to March, we're about to get to the tournament, who had the best body of work in terms of an individual performance over the course of the season. And there's no doubt that Sharif Cooper was one of the most impactful players in the country in his 12 games he was able to play. Not holding my breath that he'll return for these past two for these next two games, the last two games of the season, just because of the ankle injury. I mean, I don't know if he should necessarily risk it if he's going to be trying to uh, head to the next level. So he'll definitely test things out. There's no doubt about that. I don't know what the NBA combine process is going to look like, but you even had a guy like Jared Harper test things out after his sophomore year, not the year that he eventually declared, but after his sophomore year, um, just because there's nothing to lose from getting out there and seeing what NBA personnel and franchises and scouts and coaches think about your game and what you need to work on. But Sharif Cooper has a ton to work on. Don't get me wrong. He has he is not a finished product by any means, but those are just my thoughts on the situation that um, he might be too good to stay right now. I, I would be severely shocked, um, and I think uh, a lot of other people you know, kind of in NBA circles and in college basketball circles and at Auburn, I think everybody, all those people would be severely surprised as well. Garbage Time 98 asks a, a couple questions. With the addition of Drayshon Miller, that's the West Virginia transfer, the secondary looks loaded with depth. What do you think the starting group looks like, and who is in the rotation? Also, any predictions on basketball's starting lineup? I'll stick with basketball just because we were kind of talking about it. I think it'll be the transfer point guard at the one, and then Justin Powell at the two. There are other talented players who could contend for um, a back backcourt spot alongside that point guard, uh, mainly you know, Jamal Johnson and Devin Cambridge, but both of them have shown they can be successful players coming off of the bench, being sixth men type guys. That's that's what this whole starting lineup for next season is going to be about is finding that sixth man, you know, just because I think you're kind of one one away or two away. You're going to be knocking out one or two guys who are starting caliber players, but Devin Cambridge probably more so than anybody else showed this season that he could be a really successful sixth man. He moved himself out of the starting lineup to make room for Sharif Cooper. Um, and he was really successful during that stretch when he was coming off of the bench. And then Jamal Johnson is a guy that, um, really, over the entire season, he bounced. You know, he he's been in the in the lineup and out of the lineup, um, and he succeeded in both positions. He succeeded coming off of the bench, and he succeeded as a starter. So, but I think Justin Powell, when you look at his skill set and what he's able to do when he's healthy, this is obviously assuming he's fully recovered and is able to get in game shape over the summer, which I don't foresee that being a problem. It was especially positive seeing him back at the game on Saturday. But I think he's probably Auburn's most talented off guard. Alan Flanagan, you got to find a spot for him in the lineup. I, th I think some people, you know, Jabari Smith is sort of a lankier 
guy who's six foot nine, sort of a lankier forward. So maybe you know putting him at the three. But when Alan Flanagan is able to play his natural position, like we talked about in the first segment, when he's able to play his natural position along the wing, he is so successful, and he's a really really great offensive player, and he's probably one of Auburn's best on-ball defenders right now. You've got to keep him in the starting lineup. So I think it'll be a bit of a small ball lineup in that regard because you probably put Jabari Smith technically, you know, positionless basketball is positionless basketball, and that's what it is with Bruce Pearl for the most part. But Jabari Smith at the four, and then I think you keep Jalen Williams at the five. That's a really strong lineup in my opinion. Um, You've got Trey Alexander being a guy that I didn't mention in terms of the backcourt depth who's going to be challenging for spots along the wing. Um, Just really strong, really strong overall, but that's kind of my early look at what it's going to be. We're going to have a depth chart. I'm going to do a depth chart for next season the day after the season ends against the, after the Mississippi State game. So we'll be able to dive into it a little bit more after that. So appreciate that question because that kind of got the thought process rolling a little bit um, with the addition of Drayshawn Miller. What is the secondary rotation look like? Yeah, I think your two best guys are still Roger McCreary and Nehemiah Pritchett. Um, I know Jalen Simpson was technically the starter for the entire season last year, but he was dealing with, with a couple injuries. And so Pritchett really got a chance to step in and he absolutely shined. I mean, we've talked on here before how he was probably even more impressive than McCreary by the end of the season. And the numbers back that up, the advanced numbers looking at his pass breakups and how good he was in individual coverage, just his coverage grade, um, what quarterback passer ratings looked like when they were going against him in individual coverage. So I would just say with this new staff, my guess is going to be that those would be the two guys who are going to play the most because I'm just not sure how they're going to shake out the defense because it's going to look a lot different than Kevin Steele's defense. But those are the two who are going to play the most, I would think. And then, I mean, I see Drayshon Miller and Jalen Simpson sort of as equals for that third spot um, coming in and being able to play that third cornerback spot. So I think they'll get a lot of playing time. Um, as kind of the third guy and the fourth guy. And then Marco Domio uh, got some playing time last season and was able to come in. I think he'll sort of round out that top group that gets the most playing time in the middle. Um, I'm so excited to watch Ladarius Tennyson. I think he'll find a spot in this secondary, um, depending on how much they use that nickel position. Um, you know, he was really good coming in for Christian Tut. Last year, and I think he has really, really good instincts, both in the secondary and coming up and playing downhill in the run game. So Tennyson is the guy, I think, who's going to take over that spot. And then the secondary, or excuse me, the safety spots on the back, I think it's Chris Thompson and Smoke Monday, just because Thompson had the most playing time out of those safeties last year, um, out of the backup safeties. Now, there's a lot of talented players there that they've recruited over the past few years, but he kind of seems to be the guy. He's really lengthy. Um, he's a little bit stockier, whereas Smoke Monday is kind of that longer guy. So Thompson has an NFL mold for sure. Um, and I think Monday is, will really be looking forward to kind of taking a guy like that under his wing moving forward. And, and his one last season, as he'll, Smoke Monday will be a senior, taking his one last season to, to mentor guys like Chris Thompson and Ladarius Tennyson moving forward in the secondary. So next question is from Mighty Eagle. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop spending so much time rambling on these. I'll kind of get to the answer a little bit faster. Uh, I said, Nathan, who would you predict to be our running back two to start the 2020 season? Who's Auburn's backup running back going to be? Obviously, he's talking about Tank Bigsby. 
is going to be the number one guy. I would say Sean Shivers, just because I thought when the offensive line was at its best last season, Shivers was actually really impressive, and I thought he kind of showed the best tackle-breaking ability and vision of his career um, so far. He's, he's a guy that was able to hit the holes pretty well once he found them, but over his first couple of years, he wasn't able to find them very well. Last year, I thought he found them better. He was a good runner when he got in space. I can think of some runs against Kentucky and Texas A&M and Ole Miss, where he was pretty impressive. So that's one of the more interesting rotations to watch um, as spring practices come up, just because I'm re- I'm really high on Jarquez Hunter, their freshman running back, best running back in Mississippi. I think he's the all-time leading rusher, high school level in Mississippi. So great player, only a three-star guy, but I think a lot of people think he was a lot better than his ranking. I thought he was a great pickup for them. And then Devin Barrett is moving back to his running back position where he was originally recruited at. He's going to be playing running back again. And he was a guy that was really highly recruited coming out of high school. So, And he showed some ability back in 2017 when he was playing in the backfield behind guys like on Johnson. Um, he showed some ability. I thought that he was able to play and was pretty athletic. I talked to Tim Horton, Auburn's former running backs coach, about him. And he said that he was a guy who obviously, you know, was upset he wasn't able to get on the field as much when he started bouncing around different positions. But um, in terms of his work ethic and his attitude, he was always working to be able to have a shot on the field. And now that he's back in his original position, I think he's going to be really motivated about that. But I would probably say Sean Shiver. So that, that, that's going to be my pick um, just because of his experience. And I thought he made some pretty good strides last season. Michael WDE asks, what is your favorite sport to cover and why? Um, I mean, football is, you know, that's the precipice. That's that's the number one thing at Auburn. Uh, but, you know, no offense, basketball, which I love covering basketball. I sort of fell in love with basketball my sophomore year when I sort of started covering the team full time for the Plainsman as like the number one guy covering the men's team. But I'll kind of go beyond that and talk about other sports just because football and basketball are obviously great. And that's 90% of what we do, but I really liked softball. And I just say that because Philip has been covering softball great on our website recently, but softball was the first beat really, I guess I had at Auburn when I was a freshman, I went to like every single softball game crammed into that little press box. I thought it was so much fun. It was my first time really being introduced to like a beat in terms of being there every single day, knowing the nitty gritty, you know, watching a practice, um, talking to people after practice, coming to a game and seeing how that translated, asking about how things translated from practice to a game. You know, just it was my first exposure, not just, oh, going to a football game and seeing how things looked on the field. It was my first exposure of kind of tracking how things went from the practice field. And over the course of the season, and also I got to meet Philip. He, I didn't really know him very well, and I don't think I talked to him very much. But uh, obviously, he is the the softball expert and the softball guru. So I just have great memories of covering Auburn softball, and it looks like Mickey Dean has that program going in a really strong direction. So that's pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, other than football and basketball, I'll, I'll give it to softball. Why not? WTX Tiger asks, can you break down the typical day slash week? For the players, for the time from the time they start winter workouts to spring practices, are they running plays and practicing? Are coaches allowed to be around workouts and drills, etc.? Yeah, so it's eight hours a week, um, no more than eight hours, and you can spread that over kind of a five day stretch in any way that you want. Um, and I think Auburn is doing. I believe they have Wednesday. I want to say they have Wednesdays 
off. And so they're doing eight hours over the course in, in some way they're doing eight hours over the course of four days. You can pretty much do talking about running plays and whatnot. You can pretty much do everything that doesn't have to do with what you're going to be working on in spring practice. And that is installing a playbook and, you know, work, working on different plays and different types of techniques that have to do with running plays and running the team. Um, it's more focused on training and conditioning, which for somebody like Brian Harson, when you're trying to establish the culture of a new era of a program, I think is really, really important. Um, and from everything we've grasped so far, um, Auburn players and, and parents we've reported on this site um, and those around the program just have been really impressed with the way things have been. Obviously, Brian Harson has been a very different presence on the practice field and in winter workouts and training than Gus Malzahn was. He's certainly a lot more intense. Now, is that better? Is that worse? Obviously, you know, only time will tell, and we'll have to see how the results look on the field. But so far, um, just been a very, very intense. He sort of has a hands-on approach and gets with players and does workouts with players. But, yeah, so it's eight hours a week. Um, no, you cannot work on um, running plays, and you can't work on uh, installing a playbook. Now, that's not stopping, you know, there are loopholes, that's not stopping, um, you know, a quarterback and receivers from getting together and, you know, just going out and practicing stuff, that doesn't, you know, they can do whatever they want, just talking about organized things with coaches, coaches are allowed to be out there, all the coaches are there, um, they're helping with workouts, all those that are asked to be there and need to be there, Brian Harson's there every day, um, we know Derek Mason and, and Bobo are involved as well, all the assistant coaches, um, but it's just not in the roles that they will be for spring practice, it's more um, focused on training, but they're doing stuff in the stadium as well. They're utilizing that. Um, they're having 5 a.m. workouts in the stadium. A lot of players were posting about that last week and <laughs> getting in there before the crack of dawn, um, getting up super early and getting in the stadium. So um, it's been exciting for sure for all the players and, and people around the program. So interesting to see how that translates from spring to summer to fall and into the season. Um, Auburn Chef asks, do you think the Penn State game happens? I think it definitely happens. I was, I was actually talking about this game a good bit this weekend because I was seeing a buddy of mine from Atlanta, and he, he and I, have been, I've had this Penn State game circled for years. Like, I mean, I think a lot of Auburn fans have. Um, I, 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 it's just such a cool spot. You know, Auburn doesn't play teams like this super often. Any, anytime you get a road spot against a big non-conference opponent, I think people are going to feel the same way when they play a team like UCLA in the future and a team like Baylor in the future. It's just, it's a cool spot and it's a cool opportunity that you don't get very often. And non-conference home and homes are pretty cool. Anyway, um, he's from Atlanta and he lives in Atlanta right now. And we've been talking about this game for years and you know, if it happens and we get to go, you know, we're like just going to fly out together and, and go just spend the, the weekend there. And I think a lot of Auburn fans have that same mindset for this game where they're really, really looking forward to getting out there. I think it, I think it happens. I think we're going to play non-conference this year. Um, obviously, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a, into a COVID related answer just cause I'm not an epidemiologist, but it does seem like things are improving and you would think just with the way things are going that they will improve. And just, we, we have so much more of a grasp on things. And I think Auburn and uh, Doc Goodlett and Dr. Michael Goodlett, the team doctor who dealt, who deals with pretty much, he's the front, he's the front, uh, the front of the line for Auburn's. COVID pre prevention with its athletic departments and athletic teams um, just seems like they're doing everything well. And so I do think major non-conference games will happen. I guess that I'll, I'll throw my 
two cents in and, and, and bet that they will happen. Now, the the question will be stadium capacity, obviously, and, and whether it will be a true big road game rocking environment, which, you know, Happy Valley normally is in a normal season. It's they have the whiteout games. I mean, it's one of the best environments in college football. I'm not holding my breath about that, which is really unfortunate because I had been excited to see that environment in full. Not holding my breath about that, but I am remaining really optimistic that it will happen, partially because I, I do think it will happen, and, and I think we're heading in the right direction, and partially because I just really want it to happen. So <laughs> kind of speaking it into existence a little bit. And then War Eagle Forever 2021 has our last question. Um, another football question. Could Keandre Jones, I mean, I assume that's who he's talking about, could K. Jones, pretty sure that's Keandre Jones, um, could Keandre Jones get a look at center? That's a really good question that I'm really excited to learn about in spring practice, just because if you look at the possible offensive line lineups for this team, um, there's going to be a couple odd men out because you've got Brandon Council coming back um, and Keandre Jones did so well at the end of last season that I think he could. I mean, I think that competition at center, it's going to be pretty heated. Um, he has a little bit of experience playing there at center. Now, I do think maybe um, a, a more realistic approach and a more realistic situation for this would possibly be Brandon Council competing more at center. And I say that just because Keandre Jones has experience at center, but not as much as Council does. That was one of the positions he played at Akron. Everybody talked about when he transferred to Auburn that he had started at four out of five of the offensive line positions. He had start. He has starts. Division one college football starts at the center position. And when Nick Brahms was out of fall camp, I think he was out for like a week and a half. When Nick Brahms was out, uh, Jaleel Irvin, you know, was his backup center on the roster. But Gus Malzahn wanted to work with starting caliber guys that were going to be in the starting lineup. And so Brandon Council was actually the center and stepped in and played center at fall camp. So I think maybe the more realistic situation would be Council competing for that center spot and then Keandre Jones keeping put at the guard position where obviously he replaced Council after Council got injured. So that's one of the most, I mean, not only the most interesting, but uh, just most important positions to watch um, is that center guard battle because Nick Brahms, um, you know, he, he's had some struggles. Now, I do think his rapport with Bo Nix, I think he's got 21 starts under his belt with Bo Nix. Um, his rapport is, is really important, and they've got a good relationship, and they know each other. Your center quarterback relationship in terms of on the field, snap counts, all that kind of stuff is very, very important. But if this new staff takes a look at some of these past guys who have been starters for the past few years. And if they take a look at them and they don't think they're good enough, um, they're not going to hesitate to move them out because they're not the old staff and they're not going to keep guys in positions where they're not going to succeed. So that's a great question and definitely one that I'll be watching as spring football rolls around. I realize that I missed one also. Uh, AU Landshark also asked me the my favorite place to eat in Auburn. So of course I saved the best for last. The one you guys are obviously the most interested about. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought about this like over the last day, I really don't have like a favorite, like, Oh, I have to go there kind of place. But the one that wins for me is Fratelli's it's on South college street. Um, you know, there's kind of those like little strip mall areas where like smoothie King is and like little Caesars, just like that side of South college. Well, obviously it wouldn't be the other side. There's just a big lake, but just in one of those tiny 
shops. I literally think it's right next to a vape shop. Um, it's like this just strange looking Italian restaurant because it's fancy looking. There's, there's white tablecloths and fancy music. And, um, the chef is this very heavily, I mean, he's definitely Italian guy and all the food is very authentic, but then you look on the walls and it's got like Auburn murals and it says like war Eagle and stuff. So it's like kind of a college town flavor, if you will, spin on a fancy Italian restaurant. But me and my wife have been there for Valentine's day for a couple times. Um, and we get their bread all the time and really good wine selection too. And just overall, really, really good, uh, fettuccine Alfredo and really good Italian stuff and stuff like that. But the best food in Auburn, I will maintain, uh, the best chicken fingers is from insomnia grill, which is near campus. It's by twice baked. It's by goalpost best chicken fingers in Auburn. I don't want to hear it about Guthrie's or, 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 Tender chick or Fusakli's, anything like that. Until you have all had insomnia chicken fingers, please don't at me. Definitely try them. That is my <laughs> that is my favorite food number. But yeah, Fratelli's is great. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. That is the end of the podcast. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed some of the kind of freelancey answers to those questions. Um, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Please leave us a five star review if you enjoyed it. Um, if you did not enjoy it, shoot me shoot me a message. My Twitter DMs are open. You can DM me on our message board if you are a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, um, we're running a great deal. If you listen to this and you're not a subscriber and you've been thinking about becoming a subscriber um, to the website, to auburnundercover.com, I genuinely think this is a really good deal. Like when I pitch this, I'm I'm not just doing the, well, I mean, I, I obviously have to, that's part of the job, but I really like look at this and I'm like, man, like I've suggested it to some of my friends already and been like, this is a great deal. Um, you can get half off an annual subscription right now. So it's got to be, you know, full annual payment instead of monthly payments. And when you do, you get CBS All Access, which that's about to become Paramount Plus. I'm sure you've seen about Paramount Plus, that streaming service. Um, that's going to become Paramount Plus. So we're kind of just getting people in on the ground floor, uh, you know, before they change it over to Paramount Plus. Um, but you get that completely for free when you when you sign up for 50% off an annual subscription. And let me see how much 50% off is. Cause I looked at it the other day and I was like, wow. So, um, yeah, 5370 would be half off the annual subscription. So I think that's a really good deal when you get the streaming service in there as well, completely for free. So if you're not a sub consider it, and that's, that's the end of me, uh, shamelessly plugging our website. If you are not a subscriber, that's it. Um, thank you guys so much for listening again. Thank you to beats by Mordecai for the intro and outro music. He does a great job. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter and SoundCloud at beats by Mordecai. Thank you so much to him. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Hope everybody has a great week.